All right. This is our second week uh, struggling with the approach of the Arachayim in terms of understanding how he dealt with Hishtadlus and the um, trying to figure out these thing here. Okay. The reason for the struggle you will see clearly today. Um, so just to re just to reiterate and sort of review from where we were. And the Archaim told us that the Archaim told us that in Parshat Bay, Parshat Bishalah, Parak Yudal, Pasak Yudal, the Archaim said on the basis of a Madrash appears twice in Echel Rabba once in the Psikta Lamed um, in Echel Rabba and again later on in Parak Dalit, the Madrash Rabba had told us that there were four kings David Amalek, Asa, Yahishafat, and Chizkiyo, and compared the various levels of Ishtalas that each one took. If you recall, David Amalek went to fight his enemies, and each king thereafter did less. Asa, he only chased them, Yahishafat, he dominated, and Chizkiyo Amalek slept. And in each case, Hashem won the battles against each of those kings. And the 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 way it worked was in the matters that each king had less strength than the king that came before him, and so as a result, the I'm trying to make sure this thing's working. Yeah, and so the way it worked is that since each king didn't have uh, the ability of the king that came before him. They did something less. And in each case, they won the war. The question was, who was the greatest king? At least in relation to Ishtahamas. Obviously, we know David Amalek is the greatest king. The Pesuk can make that clear. That David Amalek is the greatest king because it compares each king to the kings that come before. And like Bechizkyo was the greatest king because he got rid of the Bamas. Bechizkyo, it says, he was like David. David is the one who everyone is compared to. The matter says that David HaMelech is first listed, but that could be just historical. Chizkyo is last listed, could be just historical. Says the Orachayim and Parshat it is just historical because Chizkyo is the Chelek HaMeula. He's the greatest when it comes to Hishtabas. We pointed out that this it doesn't make sense in terms of the matters. Reading the matters, it sounds like each king is getting weaker. It's getting weaker. They don't have the strength to act like the king that came before. It doesn't sound like they're getting greater. It sounds like they're getting worse, weaker, number one. Number two, what is the greatest challenge in life? What is the bigger challenge in life? To do little and rely on the Abish, to rely on Nisa, or to do a lot and credit the Abish which one sounds like it's a harder challenge in life? Presumably, the former is an easier challenge in life in the sense that you sit around waiting for the nace. If there's no nace, then you live a life of penury, and this is what Hashem wants. But you never have the test of as opposed to the person who's going straight into the Hishtabas battle. By then, it's easy to start patting themselves on the back and taking all the credit and saying, Kin Sumer, I'm special. So we said that both simply the reading of the Medrash, but also just logically it would seem that the greater test, the greater challenge in our life is the Davra Melech way, not the Chizkiyo way. And in fact, this is not just me and my own books who are saying we brought last week, we brought down Reb Moshe and the Darash Moshe as well, and Pashas Ekeb as well as Reb Moshe and the Igris Moshe. The Chubas says the same thing. We also brought down the Birochim, the Das Musa, also making all these same points. That fundamentally, Davanamach, of course, by definition, is on the greatest level of, 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 of Heshtablus and is a great challenge. In fact, Rabbi Rucham is not fond of the idea that we should be living that kind of life of total Heshtablus. 
because he says, we're like such a low level today, who can really pass this kind of a test? But certainly, in theory, Dovr is passing the greatest test of Ishtamus, not Chizkiyo. That's where we um, sort of went last week as one part. The second part of where we went last week was we connected this, Arachayim Parsis B'Shalach, to a very famous Arachayim Parsis Vayeshev. The Arachayim says that the brothers had the ability to sell Yosef, even if that was not part, they had the ability to kill Yosef, even if that was not part of the divine plan. They're pretty radical, Archaim. He essentially attempts to differentiate between animals and humans. Animals can kill a person, sure. But says the Archaim, if an animal kills a person, it's part of the divine plan. But if a human kills a person, a human has free choice. A human being has Bechira Chavshis, and therefore if he kills a person, that could be, and it could be part of the divine plan, but it could also be outside of the divine when the brothers were going to kill Yosef or potentially sell him, it could have been that would be going outside of the divine plan. Not that it was, not that it wouldn't be. That's not the point here. The point is, is that it could be. It could be outside of the divine plan. A human being has such strong free choice that it can go all the way to actually avoiding or evading the divine plan. This was what the Arachayim said. And we said, it's a pretty radical Arachayim, for sure. But we attempted to connect that Arachayim Vayesha to the Arachayim in Bishal. That is, to suggest that perhaps the reason the Arachayim holds that a person has the ability to change the divine plan is perhaps very much related to the fact that the Orachayim suggests that a person should do a little hishtandus and not a lot. Why? Because the more hishtandus that one does, the more the chance exists that one could actually be avoiding, evading, knocking off the divine plan. So therefore, if you want the divine plan to really flourish the most, do the least hishtandus. The less you put yourself out there in terms of your best as far as what you think is the right thing to do, the more the divine plan has a chance to actually do what it wants to do. Because you Ming has Bechir Akhafshis that can challenge that. This was our juxtaposition that we made last week. Archive doesn't say, doesn't connect these different archives. We connected it. Maybe it has a point. Why were we talking about it last week? We talked about it because of the fact that what we were trying to understand is what was the problem of Yosef? Right, the, the Pasuk tells us the end of What did Yosef do wrong that he was forgotten by the Saramash? Says the Orachayim, because he did his shtadlos. He put his bitochet in the Saramash. And I wanted to make a different argument. My argument was that it's not that Yosef was going against the notions of what we consider proper and appropriate Ishtamas. No, no, no. Look carefully at the Pesukim there, and you will see that Yosef does something in the first dream interpretation segment when he interprets dreams for the Sar Mashkim and the Sar Oifen, differently than when he interprets dreams for Parma. And when he dreamt the dream, when he interpreted the dreams for Parai, and when he interpreted the dreams of the Saramashkin and the Sarafim in both situations, Yosef said something similar, right? When they when they sees the ashen faces of the Saramashkin and the Sarafim, what did he say to them? He said to them, Herzachtu, listen up, guys. Why are you so sad? And they said, Oh, we had this you know, situation. He says, Listen. God makes the interpretation. So tell me what's the problem. 
He doesn't say I'm I'm digging. What happens when it comes to Pari? And Pari says to him, hey, I heard about you, big Tanaka, you're a big dream interpreter, right? Tishmach Alayim Lifter. I heard you're the big big dream interpreter. That's what the Sarmashkin told him. The Sarmashkin told him that there was a person that was a Nar Ivri who was Itonu by the Beis HaSoyer. Visham Itonu Nar Ivri Eved Lesar Tabach and Mesapar Levi Ifta Loro Eskalim, they say, Ishkechalim Eposor. Said, Para, I heard you're a big knock, you're a big dream interpreter. Says Yasek back to Para, no, 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 no. Bill Odoi, uh-uh. I don't do anything. It's all God. God is the one who answers Para. So what's the problem? Yasek, what's, what's the issue? What's the difference with what Yasek has done? The first dream and the second dream seems exactly the same. And maybe therefore the problem of what Yosef has done that he was forgotten in the jail for two years was because of the hishtadlis of asking the Saramashkim to remember him. I don't think so. I think look carefully at the Pesuk and you'll see a difference. In last week's Sedra, and I'm sorry, in the end of Ayesha, Yosef is saying to the Saramashkim, Kim zachartani itzacha, ka sheitavloch, Please remember me. Why? Why? It says, I've just done good for you. I've only done good for you. I have only done. What do you mean you have done good? What good did you do? The good that he did was interpreting the dreams. Thought it was God. That's what I want to say is the Nikuda of what Yosef did incorrect. Yosef said, You should remember me. Why? I have done good for you. And you should do for me chesed. Yosef said something that was inappropriate. Just a word. That I done good for you. I, you didn't do anything. You didn't do it. Hashem did it. You're not. You're a faithful dictaphone. You're a faithful person who processes information. But you didn't do it. So that's what I want to make the argument is that that was the issue. Not the Hishdan. This was the issue of asking the Sarmashkin to remember. It was the adding on. Not the Kim Zechatan. That's not the problem. The problem was Kasher That was the problem. Like, I think good for you. I merely reflected what Akash Borko wants. That's all I'm doing. That's correct. And I believe you see a tremendous response from Yosef in Pashas Miketz. The response from Yosef in Pashas Miketz is look repeatedly at the Psukim. Right? Is what he had said. And then he says, then look at when he interprets the dreams of the of Pari, the two dreams. He says, it's all a kid. What is what your dreams are power? It's Hashem. Hashem's telling you things. Yosef is constantly repeating, it's Hashem, it's Hashem, it's Hashem. And listen to what Pari says. Here's what happened. From the Yosef's interpretation, what is the response of what is the response of Paray? Vayimer Paray lavodav. Hanimtza kazeh. We see it like this: Ish Asheruach Elokim Boy. Paray's response to Yosef's interpretation is: Look at this. Look at to the talking to the servants. Look at this guy. Have we ever seen something like this? Did ever find somebody like this? Who has the spirit of God on him? Meaning Yosef's dream interpretation was such that he was give, somehow giving God the credit while at the same time still doing his ishtamas. Remember, Yosef does not ever stop doing ishtamas. What did Yosef do? What was his ishtamas last week? We saw. You should appoint now somebody who's going to oversee. During the years of plenty, 
to make a tremendous growth, right? So that could be savings for when there's going to be a famine. This was Yosef's advice. It's not part of the dream interpretation. So Yosef is able to do a shtadlus while at the same time it's not taking away credit from according to That's the ultimate. As Ramosha writes in the Tshuva, this is the ultimate level of a person that a person should do all the misfort to be able to make the best deals, the best business that he could do. But never forget that it's all from Hashem. If you start thinking that it's you, then you're falling to the Kachivites and Yari trap. And exactly why each one of those kings said they can't do it. So the seems to me that we have clear in the Psukim that Yosef Atzanik has learned the lesson from Paris Vayesha. And now Parshat Miketz is going out of his way to constantly reiterate that it's a Lachonin Koruchu. While at the same time, not stopping for one iota for his Ishtalas. Yosef's Ishtalas could have been, listen, can I get out of jail, please? You know what they say in Monopoly, get out of jail free card? He could have just got out of jail. No. Yosef is angling for a job. And Pari gets it. That's why you have when, 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 when Pari responds, he uses the same words as Yosef used. Yosef said, And what does Pari say? Pari says, Right? It's the same words. In other words, that Pari is responding to him. He knows that Yosef is angling, and he says, yeah, you're the man. You're the smartest person here who can handle this kind of a situation. This, again, tells me that Yosef has learned to play the game at the most elite level. Right? The level that Dovna Melech would later reach, a very, very difficult level to play. A level where you're doing 100% of Shadavis and never think for a moment that what you're doing is actually achieving the results that it achieved. This is a synopsis of what we did last week. The Arachayim, if you recall, did not, did not say this. The Arachayim was very clear, went out of his way to say that Yosef never took any credit, that it was always from Hashem, both in the dreams that he interpreted for the Sarmashman and Sarayfim, and in the dreams that he interpreted for Pari. And so, for the Archaim, what was the problem then with what the Sarmashkim asking him was the problem of Ishtadlus. Because Yosef is just simply a dictaphone. He just simply says what Hashem told him to say. So in that situation, so why are you asking him to do anything? You should just wait. Wait for Hashem to come take you out. Don't worry, Hashem is taking care of you. You don't have to do anything. Which would fit with the Archaim's larger conception that Ishtadlus is not good. The less established, the better. The more you allow God's will to flourish. That's where we were last week. Good this week. Says the Gemara in Shams. It's just worthwhile to mention this because we could spend all night doing a lot of citations. We don't have a lot of time. But this one is too juicy to avoid. The Gemara tells us a bunch of juicy Gemaras on that block, but we'll just focus on this one for now. Was a man. His wife passed away. And what happened? He had a child and he had to nurse the child. But the man's a poor man. He can't hire a wet nurse. So what should he do? So he ended up growing um, breast and the ability to nurse the child and he nursed his own child. Amazing. This person is like a mom, a huge goggle. What an incredible person. What an ace was done for him. Amr Abaya. So Abaya's a student tells her, terrible how lowly is such a person that the Sidri Berations had to change. The nature had to be shifted to enable this person's child not to do. Yeah, yeah. So that's why you have um, a, a much larger topic of Rishayim who attempt to minimize as much as possible Nisim, um, in part for this reason. And that, that's a, 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 a 
almost an entire sorry topic. I just want to focus on the aspect of the man couldn't afford a wet nurse. Okay, so you know, go out, work hard, or figure something out. I don't know. No, he, he didn't. He couldn't, whatever it was. So he had an ace happen to him. There are two ways of looking at that. There are two ways of looking at somebody who gets miraculous intervention. What a goggle, what a garua. And you can see right here the maflikas between, as we pointed out, the Archaim's way of reading the Medish in Echa Rabbah versus, like we said, others, the simple reading of that Medish. Do you look at HaKadosh Baruch intervening, right? Because where's the greatest divine intervention? By Chizkiyo, by David. Obviously, by Chizkiyo, by David, there's no intervention. There's no certain analysis by David Amal. He's going out there and raising a big army, training them well, and going out and, and winning. So where is it a situation of the Gadol or the Guru? Where do you see the greatest? That Machlag is that you can look at by that measure is effectively, I think, in this Machlag is between Abai and Rebbe's. Good? Okay. So when we have to go, um, we have to go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning because this really comes back to a very fundamental like it's a very fundamental dispute in how to understand Bechira in the first place. The Ramam in Hilchus Tshuva says like this. This is in the fifth part. The Ramam writes the following, you know, shot across the bow. No one's dictated to in terms of being righteous or God forbid the reverse. Everyone has a choice. They can be righteous or not. Continues the Rambam. And the Rambam says, don't think. Don't think what the fools think. Maybe some, even some Jews. Don't think that Hashem determines at the beginning of time whether or not a person is going to be a Tzadik or a Rosh. That's a mistake to believe that. That's a mistake to think that ain't hadavar kain elokol adam roi loyliyah tzadik k'moisha rabenu or rasha kirov. Everybody has the ability to be a tzadik like moisha rabenu or rasha like kirov menapai. Rishus nesuna lokol adam. You can make a choice to decide whether or not you want to be a tzadik or a rasha. No one is deciding it for you. Continues the Rambam. This is what Yermio said. From on high does not come out the good and the bad. Where does it come out the good and the bad? From you. You choose whether or not to be good or to be bad, not the divine. So continues the Rambam. And the Rambam says, Hashem is not decreeing on anybody whether to be good or bad. Therefore, somebody sins, he has caused a loss for himself. And if somebody does well, he has gained for himself. Then the Rambam, skipping a few unlocks, the Rambam then says, This is the essence for Judaism. Why? Because if you don't have free choice, what, what is it to discuss? There's nothing to discuss. If you don't have free choice, then on what basis should you be rewarded or punished? On what basis is there a command to do good? Why? If one takes the science of today, the behavioral sciences of today, that view humans as not having free choice, that we're all entirely pre-programmed, then there's really no reason for a criminal justice system. Let everybody out. No one's at fault for it. Yeah? Unless you want to say, well, you have to keep them in there because they're pre-programmed to do terrible things, so we got to keep those people in there. Right? Everybody else, you know, is not pre-programmed, so that's what we can let them do. All right. But the Ramam continues. And the Ramam says like this, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not not force people to do good or bad, and he didn't decree whether or not they should do good or bad. Every person has the choice, again, to be the righteous or not the However, however, there's a problem. What's the problem? The problem is that 
you might say, we're skipping again a couple of halachas to the end. How does it work with this free choice? This Everyone has real, should be clear, the Rabbin of Marnie is not as uh, generous as he is here in terms of who actually gets free choice. There are a lot of human beings who do not ever reach a level of free choice. They are sort of living life at the decision-making level. Their choice is like, should I have vanilla ice cream or chocolate ice cream? That's not free choice. Free choice is the ability to choose Many people do not reach that level and they're too mired in their, you know, in their um, sort of evil approach in life. They don't really, or, or their minds are not refined enough to understand and apprehend choice. So therefore the things that they do are literally choosing between vanilla and chocolate, which is a choice, but a very, very, very sort of weak level of choice relative to choosing between good and evil. So the rabbi asked the following question, how can I say to you that a human being has free choice? We said that there is divine foreknowledge, that Hashem knows everything that's going to happen to a person. Says the rabbi, says, says, says the rabbi, Hashem knew that someone's going to be a righteous person, God, but the reverse, then of course the person has no option in that. So how can you say that you have free choice? Um, you should know that the answer to this question says the Ramam, it'll take a life. It does so, it's so bright like the belt. It's never, you never finish talking and answering this question. It's, there is no clear and easy way to answer this question. However, but you have to understand, you have to believe, you have to know. That Akkadish Borhu is not, his knowledge is not like ours. And somehow he is able to know exactly what's going to happen in the world. And it's not a decree. It's not forcing you to do anything. This, and you have total and absolute free choice. And the Ramam concludes his. Uh, his statement over here by saying that um, he can prove it from, uh, um, from philosophical proofs. The Raven, very famously over here, goes after the Rambam and says, the, the Rambam did not keep to the approach of the wise rabbis that came before him, which is don't open up a topic unless you can close it. The Rambam, very nicely, beautifully, we all have free choice. It's really nice. It's fantastic. Then you start going after, like, how does that work with the divine knowledge, the divine foreknowledge bit? This is the fundamental conundrum for all time. No one has ever understood how do you get out of space time. No one imagines true nothingness. No one can imagine what God's knowledge is. We don't have a clue. Not the physicists of today, not the physicists of tomorrow, not the physicists of yesterday, or the rabbis. Or the philosophers, no one has ever been able to get out of space time. We can't get the true nothingness. We can't understand what it means to have knowledge of what would happen in a moment, and yet not in any way decreeing, forcing, enforcing that thing that is going to happen. Does the rival, why are you opening up the topic? You can't answer it. You're bunkering at the end. You don't have a clear guidance to explain how you get there. And you sort of start saying, oh, it's a Republican Ayam, it's such a broad answer. I have big rise brewers, like whatever. Don't bring up the topic. If you can't answer it, don't even bring it up, says the Raven. He did not adhere to the approaches of the olden day rabbis who would have kept their mouth silent and not opened up a topic that would never be able to be closed. It's like a Pandora's box. Once you open it, you can't shut it. However, the writer concludes like this, and he gives you what he thinks is the answer. I don't have a fundamental answer. I can't give you a 100% answer. I'll give you a little answer. A little answer. What's the little answer? He says like this. Says the writer, 
Hashem's knowledge is not a decree. Hashem's knowledge doesn't force X to do Y. It is there, no doubt. But it doesn't act in a compulsory way on you. Says the rabbit, what's that like? It's like, says the rabbit, to the to the um to the to the astrologer. Avalhiki, DS Stagnus, People know, or at least they thought they knew in those days, that they can look at the astrological signs, they can look at the constellation and figure out the teva of a certain person, what it might be taking place. Says the rabbit, that's what God's knowledge. Not that he doesn't have knowledge, he does. But it's not a compulsory knowledge. It doesn't force anybody to do anything. And therefore, continues the rabbit. People know that Hashem has given a lot of what was going on in the world to the to the constellations. He gave a person the knowledge, the ability to get out of the mazalis. A person has the ability to change his mazal. As we say, the Jews are not under the mazalis. We can choose our own destiny in a way that perhaps others who do not exercise their free choice, who do not appreciate and apprehend the nature of that free choice, do not. Continues the rivet. So the Raven concludes, I always love this because it's from the uh, Megillah, right? From Megillah to Esther, where Haman, what did Haman say? He had just been anointed, right? Number two. He's like the Yasef of the Esther story, right? He's the number two Takashvir. He's such a powerful guy. And everyone has to bow down to him. And he has all this money and has all this covet, all the things that anyone could possibly want, right? And he sees that Jew working out the hand out. What do you say? The Bolze and Nenu Shevali. None of this is worth anything. Bol Eta Shana Yuri as Melch Ayudi. Right? Because when I see that Jew in Mordecai, I see that guy doesn't bow down to me. None of it's worth it. None of it's worth it. This, the rival says, after he gives you his answer, it's not a great answer, but it's something. He says, but his basic attempt at an answer is the same way that in those days people view the constellations as having, they were viewed as more sentient beings. They had minds. They had an understanding of how the world works. They had some control over how the world works. But a person can change that. Person can get around that. How can a person get around it? By exercising his mind, by exercising his free choice. So, in the same way, Hakodesh Baruch Hu has knowledge of what's going to happen in the world. But a person can get around it because his knowledge is not a decree and a person's free choice can move. So, in my mind, studying this Machlegis, the Rambam and the Rabbi, what did I think? Who did the Arachayim go like? Shita of what? I would think he went to the Shita of the Rabbi. According to the Rambam, Hashem's foreknowledge is 100%. Of course, it's the decree. Of course, it controls everything. How does that work with human being free choice? I don't know. It's like a really complicated thing. You have to like study philosophy forever, and like, you know, it's really complicated. Okay, whatever. Not a really clear answer, incoherent, but the same incoherence that has plagued humanity for a thousand years, and it won't change. That is the fundamental question that has always been the fundamental question within humanity. But the, the approach to the rabbit is Kodesh Baruch's knowledge is not as strong. It's like the mazolis. It's a it's a lower level of knowledge. It's not a decree. Forget the Chosei and the It's a weaker level of knowledge. It's not a decree. It's not a gezerah. It doesn't control you and me. So you can get out of it. And what did the rabbit say? I'm sorry, what did the Archives say? So when it came to animals, you can't. Right? They don't have free choice. They can't get out of it. And presumably by people who don't exercise their free choice, maybe non-Jews, etc., others who are low levels, all of it will stay true. Kodesh Baruch's knowledge will be the same. But for the Yechide school, the people who have the free choice, the people who are acting of their own free volition, that'll be a situation where they can get around it, where they can change it, 
The same way they can change that what the stagnants tell you about the about the Nazalis, so too we can change what Kodesh Kodesh says. And that presumably is what the Rachayim said in Parshas that the brothers they could have killed Yosef would be out of the divine plan, but that's okay because human beings have the ability to be chirachavshes in a way that animals do not. Perfect, right? You agree, right? This is like very happy. Listen, fantastic. What's my problem? My problem is that the Archaim says negative. That's what I mean when I say the struggles of Ishtalas of the Archaim. Because for me, it was a perfect Lishitase. The Archaim is with the Ravid, and that's perfect. And I'm done. My work is done. The problem is you have to look at Paris of Liberations. But at the end of Paris of Liberations, there's an Archaim. So we got to go back to the end of Paris of Liberations to find this Archaim, but it's there. And the Archaim in Perik Vav. Plus, okay. Lorchem brings down the place, the Rambam and the Rabbi. And he says, a sharp line against the Rabbi. <laughs> he says the following against the um, um, against the Rabbi. He says that. He says the uh, the Rabbi, Hashem yichaper ba'adoy. The Rabbi, Hashem should be Michaelim. Noyag miut. He did not treat the Rambam appropriately. He acted very inappropriate in the way he treated the Rambam. He acted So what is the Archaim said? The long Archaim, we're not going to go through all of it. What does the Archaim say? In the Machlokes between the Rambam and the Ravid, who does he hold like? Who does he feel like he's with? The Rambam. So I can't argue anymore that the Archaim is fitting the Shishpasai with the Shishpasai of the Ravid, which is, it fit really nicely with. So that kind of, you know, for me, when you, you have a plan, and then all your puzzle pieces were just broken up. That's what the that's what the Rambam did. He knocked out my puzzle pieces. I can no more. I can't fit him into the Shita anymore. He says he's like the Rambam. He says the Rambam was not treated appropriately by the Ravid on this matter. I'm back to square one. So what should I do? How do I, how do we understand the Arachaim Shita when it comes to free choice? If the Arachaim is saying that a person has the ability to change what the divine plan was. Humanity has that ability. So what kind of divine knowledge is there? Is there a divine knowledge that's a bit of a weaker sense of the way that I've been saying it? Or is it this absolute 100% forcible divine knowledge that the Rambam said? If it is, then how can human being change that? Says the Arachayim, V'divei Rambam, Iker ki ein oifan yidiyas Hashem musagas esleinam. We just we don't we don't know. We have no asagas about. We can't answer. He goes on more and more. We don't have the time to go through all of it. But that's my takeaway that I want to that I want to take from this. I'd like to move. We're going to come back to it, but I'd like to move now to one point, which is the point I mentioned. I have a raya, Eisen raya. I mean, perfect raya. Huh? For what I wanted to stay left. Right, which is that Yosef HaTzadik has rectified himself. As an aside, this to me is the most beautiful aspect of Tanakh. When Tanakh doesn't pull attention to anything, it just lets you know without actually saying. This to me is, I see it as 100% black and white, and it's not called attention to at all. But you'll see, you'll tell me if you think it fits 100% the way I'm saying. The Pusik tells us in this week's session that the brothers, right? They, uh, Yehuda confronts Yehuda. We know the whole story. And eventually he, he, he sort of makes such a good pity case to Yehuda that Yehuda can no longer hold it in. He can't, he can't take it. He can't take listening to Yehudas anymore. It's so plaintive. The crying is so poignant. The nostalgia is so thick. He can't take it. Okay. Everybody has to leave the room. And Yosef says, That's all the story. 
what happens next? What are the brothers? What's their immediate reaction? They like they're moving away. Why? He never will be put there. Like this is the idea. Oh my gosh! Right? They're realizing number one, right? How terrible their actions were. What they've done all those years before, selling the brother because he had these kind of like inhibitions, uh, what's it called? These, uh, he had this sort of desire for, for Malchus, for Gadula, for Manshala. That, that was totally wrong, totally inappropriate. Yet, look where he is. He's on the, he's on the throne. He's the one who's they're all bowing to who was right. So it's not just a situation where we really mistreated our brother. Yes, that's an element. But there's an additional element of like, I was so wrong, fundamentally. Whether I like him, that's a different story. But he was meant to rule, and we were meant to be subject to him. And knowing that, right, Chazal's famous point that, like, we all come up to the pearly gate. When they're going to show us the video of what our life could have been, in that moment, we also will be struck. Struck not just simply, wow, you know, we could have done better than what we actually did. No, but, like, we really could have. Our whole life could have been different. It was within our power. Had we just. This is what the brothers are feeling. So Yosef gets it, that they're feeling terrible. And he tries to placate them. And listen to what he said. He says, please, come closer. I'm your brother Yosef. That you sold. He's not taking that away from them. You sold me to Mitzrayim. Don't be upset. Don't be angry. That you sold me. So two times he mentioned it, right? You sold me. Hashem sent me here to be able to sustain you. He's going to be two more, uh, two, he was ready two years of famine. There's going to be another five years of the famine. Hashem sent me here. Hashem sent me here before you to create an avenue for your being able to be saved from this famine. For you to have a great, uh, um, a, a great option to be able to serve. The continues Yosef. You did not send me here. You didn't send me to Mitzrayim. Hashem did. He made me into the big master now here in Egypt. And a ruler of all of Egypt. Tell him that, tell your father Jacob, tell him that Yosef, your son, says, Hashem has made me the ruler over Egypt. What is Yosef doing here? He has taken out two people that had significant success in getting him to where he is today. One, I shouldn't say people, two, two, uh, two actions. One was the action of the brothers of selling him. And the second was the action of Yosef of angling for the job. Of telling Parai, hey, look, you should appoint somebody who's really wise and smart and you know knows how to do these kind of things and being able. Yosef is saying, who sent me to Egypt? Who put me on the throne? Hashem. This to me is the greatest exposition. It's the greatest example. It precedes Dabrahamel. It's the example of how to live a life of Ishtad, like Ramesh said. You should do all the mystery, you should do all the Parnassa type of things that one needs to do in order to create the greatest Parnassa. But never forget that it's Hashem who's giving you. 
Yosef knows that the brother said to him, it's right. And he knows that he angled for the job when he had the opportunity. But it wasn't either of these that got him to the throne. It's all Hashem. This is why the Archive says why he had no enmity to them. If you recall, last week we mentioned the Chinuf, the Chinuf, the famous Chinuf, says on the mitzvah of Leisikoyim you shouldn't take the comma. Why not? Let's go back. Take the comma. What's a parable taking a comma? So you can say on one level it's a bad thing to take revenge. It just exacerbates the situation. But that's not what the Chinuf says. That's not merely why it's bad. You want to know why it's bad to take the comma? Because there's something fundamentally missing in your Veltan There's something fundamentally missing in your philosophy. What's missing in your philosophy? Is that, yeah, Yedem has free choice. Ruben, he hit me. Ruben has free choice? Yes, he did. Did he hit me? Yes, he did. Should I be angry at him? No. Why? Because when Ruben hits you, you have to know that it's from the Abishta. For some reason, Abishta felt you should deserve to be hit. So if you deserve to be hit, you should be angry at the Abishta first. Don't be angry at Ruben. Ruben is just a pawn. Says Yosef Atsanik, Hashem sent me. I'm not angry at you. I hold no enmity to you. Because I know you were just a hand. You were just a stick. You were just doing the action that Akkarishbohu sent you to do, says the Arachai. And so for me, this is an absolute explication, exposition. This is like the fulfillment of the highest dream of Ishtar. Right? Yesev totally understands that his brothers are the ones and he's there. He totally gets that he angled for a job, but he takes no credit for any of it. It was all I thought was broken, and he takes no enmity, he holds no grudge against the brothers for it because he knows it's all Hashem. Says the Archaim, in a similar way, says the Archaim like this. That Yosef saw from his coming down to Egypt and him becoming the leader and the king and all of this, they're selling him was all Hashem. They were his, they were Hakarish Boku Shlukim. Um, and they did not do things for themselves. Therefore, there was no reason to hate them. And no reason to not have brotherly love between them. And therefore, Yasef reiterated and iterated and reiterated them that it was all Hashem and not them that caused them to be there. And I'm adding that additionally. Also, why Yosef is not taking credit. He's not saying, I got it because I'm really I'm really good at my job. I'm really, I figured out a way to get Pari's attention. And then I managed to keep the position. You know, you can imagine all the political machinations at a time like that. that the Ivory is now on the king, the guy was replaced. You can imagine the probably some extreme who are not very thrilled about getting, you know, displaced for the position. But he's a good dream interpreter. Yes, he had a good idea. The king wants to listen, but why should he get the job? So he's a great person. So we'll make him a, a nice vinkle. We're going to put him in there. He can learn. He can, he can be all. Take him out of jail. Let him have the get free card. Why should we get this top job? In what way has he shown that ability? Especially, I'm sure there were a lot of other people who are angling for such a job who had been bureaucrats for the longest time. So Yesa figures out how to get to the top. Remember, he is the Ishmaqliak we learned about in Parsons Vayesha. He's always rising to the top, whether it's in his own home, whether it was in the home of Partifar, whether it was in the jail, in and even in Pharaoh's home. He gets to the top. The Torah makes it as him making a suggestion, but you should understand behind it is, in effect, Yosef <laughs> being able to co-opt all the others in Egypt. So where we are right now is, in effect, fundamentally, that we have reached a place where we understand how Yosef is able to live at the pinnacle, the apex, the epitome 
of true hishtab, the balance of true hishtablas, and giving Hashem the crown. We have a, one problem. The problem is, Yosef is saying the brothers didn't tell him. They didn't tell him. But them, look, right, Yosef said, I told him, you didn't send me. There's a Rambam there in Hilkos Juba, in the next paragraph. The Rambam and the Rambam and the Rabbit have a fundamental dispute again about, it's uh, two weeks early, but it's going to come up in two weeks. Are the Egyptians to be found guilty for putting the Jews in slavery? After all, Hashem already decided, right? What did it say in Pashat Lachlach? Why should the Mitzrayim be found guilty of doing effectively a fulfillment of God's command? This was the, the fundamental question for the Rambam and the Rambam. The Rambam's answer is that, yes, we acknowledge the fact that it's true. Hashem did make the gezerah that the Jewish people have to go down to Mitzrayim. The Rambam doesn't obviously disagree with that. But says the Rambam, the Egyptians are to be found guilty. Why? Because Hari Gozal Mitzrayim Asifra only as a nation. There was no gezera on the individual. The gezera was on the nation of Egypt. Well, enslave, enslave the Jewish people. You as a person, you could be an abolitionist. You could be an abolitionist. You don't have to be the one who's a slaver. This is the approach of the Rambam. What's the approach of the Rambam? The approach of the Rambam is he doesn't like again. He castigates the Rambam. We're not going to get into that, but he effectively says, uh, He does not like the Rambam's words. But he says the following term. Says the Rambam, listen, the, the, really the Egyptians did deserve to get punished. You know why? HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, Hashem said they should punish them. Make them an Evan. There's different ways to make somebody an Evan. You know, there's something called indentured servant. There's a servant. There's an Evan every. There's an Evan kind. There are different rules. Right? You could have an Evid, and the Gemara and Hazal would say that having an Evid is a terrible thing. It's like praying at once, and other lots more, because you got to treat them so well. They could have had Avadim and treated them in a nice way. And they could have had Avadim and treated them like worse than, you know, people were treated uh, in, in slavery and servitude in, 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 you know, countries around the world. They chose the latter. They chose to throw them into the sea, throw them into the Nile. They didn't like it. They were afraid about the Buddha. Get him burn him into the sea. They had a Buddha's parach. They made him a terrible thing. And that's why Imaru was chayim ba'avoyza kosher. They didn't have to eat. There's slavery and the slavery. They chose the route of making it really a bad slavery. That's why they got punished. Sure, they had no... They, they, they would not have been punished if they just kept them as slaves. Maybe like doing household chores or something, you know, light. But they made them have all this terrible slavery. So that's why they got punished. That's the approach of the Ram. <clears throat> what is the answer to the Rakhaim in the following question? Yes, Yeshua is very nice to the brothers. He says that, Hashkafically, the brothers didn't sell me. He says to them, Hashem is the one who wants me to be here. But what about the brothers themselves? Are they guilty? We know Chazal felt the brothers are guilty, right? Because I'll tell us that every star that we have is a little bit in the Chirathir. So it's sin that will go on forever. And each time we get punished a little bit in the Chirathir. The sin that lives in selling your brother. But at the end of the day, fundamentally, did the brothers, are they, is Yezid correct? Could the brothers come up to Shammai and say, look, <laughs> it was Gozer. You wanted Yezid and Mitzrayim. We're guiltless. Are they going to be punished? 
Obviously, Chazal felt that they're going to be punished. But I'm saying, as a matter of Hashkafa, in terms of these two approaches, for, for the Rambam's approach, presumably you could say, okay, so Yezid had to be sold, but it didn't mean that, you know, 10 brothers have to sell him. Who brothers? Let Shimon Levin be the ones who sell. Why does every brother have to be involved in the sale? Right, according to the rabbi, it'd be like, okay, if you have to get him down to Egypt, the way to get him down to Egypt nicely, you have to put him in a bar and, like, you know, potentially going to kill him, right? And the, 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 if I bar, um, the book says, aim by my own, the more tells us in Shabbos, I'll be Shabbos, the Chashim, right? There was all, uh, um, these uh, snakes and scorpions. There's ways to sell somebody, there's ways to sell somebody. Laura Chaim says, Laura Chaim says, in the end of last week, and this is the end of Pasha's case. Last Archaim says like this that Yehuda decided to be Vayigashilam. Because when Yehuda got up there to do, remember, all the brothers had come back. And they're all standing out in front of Yehuda. And Yehuda thanked him, what you, what, What's going on? And Yehuda's saying, My best, like, you know, like uh, Yehuda saying, um, um, uh, that you must have said, We're all servants to him. I don't want all of you to be my servants. You're only Kim, you're all fine. I just want one, the one who's good. That's our time. Yehuda was standing there in front of Yahweh with the brothers, and he talked to himself, and all the brothers are guilty. Except for Binyamin, because whether you want to take the approach of the Rambam, whether you want to take the approach of the rabbit, whatever. There's a reason why the brothers are like, they thought they should be punished for what they did. Remember what they said when they take away Shimon, I'm sorry, when they were to lock up all the brothers. Remember what they said? They're going to let one go up to get Binyamin. What did they say, the brothers? Aval Hashem Anachno Alachinu. They, they, they viewed it as what's Hashem doing to So Yehuda said, we're guilty. And if we are now having to go into jail for Binyamin, it's because of what we did before and we are 100% guilty. We deserve it. And there would never have been a Vayigashi love you. Says the Arachayim, but because he saw that when the response of Yosef was only him, Rabbi is innocent. He's never done anything wrong. He was not part of the Mechim. He doesn't know anything. So therefore, it's not to do with the sale of Yosef. We're not getting punished by this gentleman because of the sale of Yosef. We're dealing with this gentleman who is acting with his bechira in a very negative way. He's acting with his bechira in a capricious way, and therefore I'm going to deal with him. And that's why he got to love. And that's why he goes directly to um, confront uh, Yehudah. I will stop over here. I will conclude with one last remark just on this Gustav. We don't have a clear answer at the end of the day for Archaim and 100% how he how he fits all this in. As we more in the end of Nizik, more in Ayn of the Bays, like more tells us, Maya to Adami Chakin, how does the person get wise? Maya to Adami Sasha, Maya to Adami Yelim, how does the person get all these things? More says, in each case, it's you do the Hishtablas and Yadavan. And the Mashur there adds, the Mashur there adds that what is going on in this, in, in this Gemara. It's possible to change the divine decree. How does the change in the divine decree have to do with actually divine foreknowledge? How could he change anything? This was the Archaim in Parshish Gracious that he was trying to answer when he went with the way of the approach of the Ramah because of the other person says, Hashem. Hashem changed his mind. But he wants him to eat him down, destroy the world. What does it mean? How does it change? Hashem doesn't change. The way that we'll conclude is our time says Hashem's knowledge is fundamentally different. This is the approach of the Ramah. We don't know what the word change means, not change. We don't know what anything means. But Hashem sometimes says the Archaim puts things away, whatever that means, I can't explain, puts things away and brings them back when the appropriate time is convenient. 
And that putting away or bringing back is an effect of the quote change. It's not a change, it was always there, but that's what it means. So in effect, what the archive ends up really doing is sort of not making so much of a, I mean, maybe not the nice way to say it, it's, it's a bit of a challenge between the Rambam and the Ravid. If the Rambam, Hashem's knowledge, which is enforcing on any gazera to everybody, is now in effect, be able to move the side and then come back, well then, how's that that different than the Ravid, the Ravid, the Ravid approach, which is Hashem's knowledge is sort of like the constellations, it can be changed, it can be altered, because the person has free choice. Fundamentally, I'm not so sure that there is a, a, there is a, uh, a fantastic difference, but it makes perfect sense that we are struggling with it because people have always struggled with the question. John.